studies have shown that diverse and inclusive workforces are significantly more productive and more profitable than workforces that aren't. Financial services firms have this valuable diversity in their entry level and lower ranks, but it peters out pretty quickly when you look higher up on the ladder. Our guest on this week's podcast is Diane Ashley, CEO of DTA Diversity Counts and formerly the Chief Diversity Officer at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York. She's here to discuss the current diversity and inclusion landscape within financial services and what banks and other institutions can do to improve and meet what could be a special moment in our history. Actionable insights can help power smart decisions. Each week, the BAI Banking Strategies podcast focuses on important issues facing financial services leaders, as well as the emerging trends that are rapidly reshaping the financial industry. I'm Terry Badger, your host and the managing editor at BAI. Pull up a chair and join us. Several weeks of protests that have followed the death of George Floyd in Minnesota are focusing America's attention on its centuries-long struggles with race and inequality. Many corporations say they are committed to change, that they'll work toward being more diverse and inclusive. Over the years, lasting progress on this front has proven challenging. On the podcast today, we're discussing diversity, equity, and inclusion in the financial services industry, and our guest is Diane Ashley, CEO of DTA Diversity Counts, and before that, Chief Diversity Officer at the Federal Reserve Bank of New York and SVP of Supplier Diversity at Citigroup. She will also moderate a new BAI Executive Roundtable on DEI that aims to address key topics and advance best practices for the financial sector. So, Diane, we appreciate you joining us to discuss this important and timely theme. Thank you, Terry, for the invitation. When it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, what are some of the key topics, the key areas that should be front of mind for financial institutions now? Maybe you could start with pressing things in the near term and then broaden it out a little bit to the longer term. Well, you know, thanks for the question. I would say that certainly when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's a topic that's been around and it's a practice that's been around for, I would say, over 40 years right now. But we're at a very interesting intersection of history, which I think brings to the forefront a sentiment that has grown over the years in terms of understanding that diversity has yet to be achieved, i.e. having a number of different people at the table. Equity from the standpoint of pay opportunities have yet to be achieved and inclusion. So it's not enough to simply have people in an organization, but to make sure that they are aligned and that they continue to grow. I think part of the reason that financial service institutions need to think about that too is that our societal issues that are going on. You know, Terry, you and I chatted about this beforehand, that if you think about it, the last year or so has accelerated something that I have actually articulated as a perfect storm. We had the COVID-19 scenario, which has actually put some of the people not only at home, but has put more than 40 million people out of work. And you add on top of that, the issue of the recent uh, killings that have taken place. And so, and as well as, for example, some other issues that have taken place. And, you know, when you think about it, I think, and we'll talk, I know a little bit about this in a moment, they've created, I would say, in some respects, a perfect storm of individuals who have 
felt in the aggregate as if there has not been sufficient attention and justice to what is going on. And so I would say certainly from a financial service institution, that actually has also permeated um, financial services. And I think that there is an opportunity right now to really start to address it. You're right that it, it's very broad. It's uh, you know, historically you know, well entrenched, a very big thing to tackle. So where are the quick wins for banks and other financials that can generate that valuable momentum for DEI within the industry? Well, you know, I think one of the things that has taken place, and it's it was stunning, frankly, to see this uh, happen as quickly as it had, are the number of uh, statements that have come forward, you know, press statements that CEOs have made in terms of um, abhorrence at what's going on and the need for justice and how recognition that African-Americans need to really be recognized. When you think about the whole Black Lives Matter conversation that started a number of years ago in, in Ferguson and beforehand with Eric Gardner and others, I think what people are starting to come to the understanding is that Black Lives Matter was not an exclusive definition. Actually, it probably better articulated as Black Lives Matter also. So it's not at the exclusion of others. I think what quick wins could take place is not only for the CEO to make a press statement, that's a great start, but I really think that CEOs, and I would also argue that boards of directors and senior executives in these organizations need to really step up and really start to come up with a plan. And it's not only just a strategic plan, we don't want yet another diversity report plan. We want a plan that actually gets them out of the analysis paralysis. Very easy to make a strategic plan that looks beautiful but goes nowhere. So one of the things that I would certainly advocate for would be a plan that has built into it uh, not only inclusion and structure, but it has goals in it, it will have incentives for good behavior in it, it will measure it ruthlessly in terms of progress, and there will also be something that we hear less of in financial services, and that is consequences for lack of behavior. I think if, if corporations in financial services can start to move into that direction, I think we'll start to see some progress relatively quickly. Uh, Diane, you said at the beginning that uh, you know this is certainly nothing new within banking, within American business, even more broadly. So why do you think progress has been so slow to this point? And what are the biggest obstacles that have to be overcome to speed up the pace, to be able to really move toward those quick wins and then further wins down the road? I think there's a couple of ways you could approach that. You could certainly say racism is, and sexism have been issues that have been permeated the lack of advancement for a lot of people. But I would even take it a step back, Terry, and say it's human nature. People are resistant to change. And when that happens, we actually become trapped because if you have the same people at the table, same thinking generates same output. So, you know, what's got to happen is we've got to break some of that up. There is a very, very uh, well-known professor at University of Michigan, Dr. Scott Page, who's an economist, and he wrote a book called The Difference. In his book, he actually put two groups of people together to solve a complex problem, one of the same thinking and the other of cognitive diversity or difference of thinking. And he actually was able to prove through his econometric modeling that the people who came to the table with different thinking actually brought forth better innovation, actually uh, different alternatives, 
And I would certainly argue that this is part of what needs to happen to break up what's been slowing things down. I think the other thing is that minorities who have moved ahead, and I'll say something that I think might be considered a little bit controversial, but it's true. A lot of times what's happened is the minorities that have moved ahead somewhere along the way got the message that if you want to move ahead, then you are really not to be a truth teller. You are not really the person that will bring up the uh, unfortunate or uncomfortable conversations. And so we see way too much of that. So I would argue that, you know, it's not a simply a scenario where you've got white men in that role, but you've got the folks who also too have moved up and sometimes not all, not all, but there are sometimes people who have um, ascended to those roles and they've kind of taken a, a tacit approach or passive approach to wanting to get in the throes of a complex or maybe uncomfortable conversation. You know, you're talking about the need to drive change, uh, the need to drive progress on DEI within banking. And I'd imagine that buy-in at the top would certainly have to be one of the, the early steps, as is the case with any major initiative. So how do you get leaders, the leaders of uh, within the banking industry, how do you get them to truly listen about the need for change within their organization? Well, I think one of the ways I think we need to really approach that is, first of all, position this conversation as a business problem. It's not a nice to have. It is a business problem. If you look at the component and the demographic of the workforce going forward, you're going to see that, you know, we have unprecedented numbers of the multicultural group in our workforce. And so you really got to be attuned as a business for what needs to happen and what you need to do to manage and lead individuals. The other thing I think that needs to happen is there needs to be education. We need to have a real conversation on bias because bias is something that exists for everyone. There is no one without bias. Look, the conversation should be around what needs to happen to bring in other voices. What are the biases that are hindering those in the workplace? And so you need to acknowledge that it's a real issue. It's not a scenario where you've got some tangential group of people who seem like they're always complaining and we'll put this aside. It's a real issue. And I think part of what has to happen is that people at the senior levels are going to have to lean in to the discomfort of having these conversations. Most organizations don't really wanna have a conversation around race and gender. I mean, we talk about it and have a program about it, but if we wanted to have an in-depth understanding, we've gotta spend some time, some money, and some investment in really getting to know who is at the table, what do they bring to the table, and how can we leverage this as a business imperative. Diane, at the beginning of our conversation, you made an allusion to you know, some of the current events that have been going on uh, here that have really accelerated this conversation. And many banks have been quick to respond to the current unrest in the country stemming from the George Floyd killing in uh, Minneapolis last month and other events as well. There have been expressions of solidarity. There have been pledges to address societal and economic inequities. There have been promises of financial support to underinvested areas. Do you think that this response from the industry is meeting this historical moment? As I said earlier, I think it's a start. But I will say this, uh, there is a caveat attached to that because 
we have this historical moment, we have this window of time and opportunity, and it's fascinating because it's not only a window in the United States. Terry, as you take a look around the world, I was stunned to see the amount of support, or I should say maybe the George Floyd incident, how it has generated a movement from a global perspective of thousands of people and photographs in London, in Paris, in Germany, who have actually kind of answered this call, or I guess maybe were incentivized by this call to start to think about justice. So I would say what has to happen is that we have got to recognize that it not only is an historic moment, but more than that, there has got to be a plan to address it in a tangible way. Because what will happen is if nothing is done other than all of these press statements and there's some activity that's done in the next couple of months and it does not become sustainable, then I think it will actually do more damage in terms of credibility, in terms of building trust, in terms of building relationships. So yes, kudos to banks that have kind of gotten in front of this in terms of expressions of solidarity. And I think it's great. And I think the pledges have been effective, but I do say that I do want to send out a clarion warning that we really have to ensure that not only we make the statements, but there's follow-up. Yeah, there's, um, Diana, another recent and prominent incident on video and in the headlines, and that was the incident in Central Park where an African-American bird watcher was uh, threatened with a false accusation by a female investment manager. So this one really hits home for the financial industry. What are the big lessons here for banks to take away, um, you know, this woman, uh, Amy Cooper, being one of their own and being at a very high level within her bank? When you think about it, her response of failing to leash her dog, which is actually required in Central Park, and her response to it by threatening Chris Cooper and calling 911 to say there's an African-American man threatening me, that just, to me, epitomizes what has gone on for years in the financial service area in terms of looking at the, the conversation around white privilege. And this is something that I think, again, it's an uncomfortable conversation. It's a conversation that oftentimes people in senior management don't want to really foster they don't want to have that conversation. Or worse than that, you've had individuals who may look at that and, and at the whole conversation around white privilege and say, that doesn't apply to me. So why do we need to have this discussion? I think what it does is in some respects, I would imagine in some respects, that whole interchange will become a training video for what people do when they are not in touch with their own biases. Uh, you know, what's interesting is that Amy Cooper was fired the next day from her company. And uh, when Chris Cooper was interviewed, he actually had sympathy for her in terms of her being fired. He didn't have sympathy for her behavior. But it, what it did is basically her act turned her entire life upside down. And I think that Part of, you know, you asked earlier, like, what's going on now? What's the difference now than in the past? I think part of what the difference is now, Terry, is that, one, we've got access to be able to record this information. And I think that's what actually has been the lightning rod 
in some of these instances because it's been going on for decades. So to your question, I believe that one of the things that, again, needs to be addressed is a conversation on white privilege. And it is a conversation in, in uh, people recognizing that, you know, at the end of the day, there may be disparate income. There is disparate opportunity. And I think that if we don't recognize that, if the people who are in those groups do not recognize that they don't even have a clue, they're not even tuned in to how they kind of go into a reflexive result and response to incidences. And I think that is part of the problem in terms of the whole bias conversation. So, you know, again, once you recognize the biases that you have and how you're impeding progress in your workplace, I think that's the first stop in starting to get people to think differently and start to create some new habits that will help to move the business forward. Yeah, Dan, let me bring it back around to the subject of underinvested uh, areas. We, we touched on that a little bit earlier, but uh, not just geographic areas, but also underserved groups. So in your view, how are banks doing now when it comes to supporting minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, LGBT-owned businesses? How are they doing now? And um, are there some easy wins available for them uh, right now? Well, you know, I think the quick answer to your question, Terry, is not enough. For example, the U.S. government controls over a trillion dollars in federal pension funds, and yet very little is managed by African-American firms and investors, and as well as women-owned firms. And I think that this is an area where we could certainly make a big difference. There are a number, and one of the things, you know, you had mentioned in my introduction is I did run supplier diversity and one of the areas of focus that we launched while I was there was a whole outreach to minority and women broker dealers on working on major deals. And I think that when you think about the individuals who are leading these top firms, all of them come from major houses, the major that are called the primary dealers on the street. And so they have good processes. They have they were trained in these houses. They actually could make a difference. I think that that's an area that can use more focus. I think the other area, too, that really needs more focus is what we call the areas of knowledge workers. So, for example, you've got law firms, you've got consulting firms, you've got IT firms. These are all organizations that, you know, are those that are oftentimes led by individuals who cut their teeth working in in the top companies in corporate America, and they are looking for opportunities to come and share their knowledge. For those who may not be as aware of supplier diversity, I used to call that the mirror of workforce diversity because it's the outreach an organization does to ensure that there are women and minority and veteran-owned and disabled-owned organizations hopefully having access to capital. It's a continuing problem. When you look out at the financial industry and uh, you assess their DEI programs, their diversity, equity, and inclusion programs, at this point, who's doing it right? I mean, who's whose programs are on the right track and uh, really making true progress? Well, I think, you know, and in my conversations with all of my contemporaries that are tasked with some kind of aspect around DEI as practitioners or those who are working to help advance it, there are a few companies which I think have taken some leadership roles. I would certainly have to uh, mention that J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon had um, commissioned the Advancing Black Leaders Program, which was to promote and bring in more 
black managing directors, and that's been pretty successful. Um, they are strengthening the pathways also for businesses that is part of a JPM program. I think that Fifth Third Bank has done some really good work around this, and certainly Bank of America. But I think at the end of the day, frankly, if you ask all of them, they will tell you that this continues to be a journey. And I don't know of any uh, DEI practitioner who will say to you that they are totally satisfied with the level of progress, with the pipeline issue, with the level of mentoring, with the level of coaching that takes place for individuals of color who want to move forward. So we have some outstanding examples. We have some guideposts. We have some programs. But again, we still need to have some progress. You know, perhaps we can help with that progress uh, through BAI. We have a, a new executive roundtable focused on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and you're going to be leading it. So what are you hoping to achieve with these industry leaders? What does success look like? Again, maybe starting with the short term and then looking farther down the road. So, you know, I have to say, Terry, first of all, I'm extremely excited about this because I think this is an, an unusual opportunity and it's coming at a time where the whole conversation around DEI has come back to the forefront. One of the things that I have been concerned about and I've had in conversations with contemporaries is that the whole diversity, equity, and inclusion conversation has started to really slip down in terms of priority in a lot of companies. So now that we have like lightning rod focus on this conversation, the things that I am hoping will come out of those conversations in our, in our roundtable as we launch it is one, building a community of professional practitioners based on mutual trust, respect. We're hoping that we create a collective, a mission to work toward actionable solutions which can go across industry. I'm also hoping that people will realize that, you know, with this perfect storm of COVID, unemployment, and recent killings, we've opened a window, and I'm hoping that those of us on the roundtable will be able to recognize how this can be leveraged in a positive way and further, frankly, monetized so that we can really all benefit from the opportunity that comes forward as a result of putting a focus on this. I think the other thing that will happen is uh, if we can help the DNI or DEI members you know, frankly, I saw a first pass at the list that BAI is inviting. And, you know, frankly, it's it's not a bad thing, but we have some people that are more junior than others on the list. So I am hoping that this will be a collective that will help develop, strengthen strategies and empower as we inspire and challenge each other to go back to our organizations and work more closely with our CEOs, with boards of directors, with their senior management, to really take this conversation and take it to the next level. So, you know, I am hoping that part of what comes out of the conversation are a set of suggestions, tools, recommendations, best practices that can be shared because the whole industry is right now such that it needs to, it needs revision, it needs scrutiny, it needs challenge. And so I don't see this as an opportunity for people to get in the room and compete with it, each other. I see this more as an opportunity to bring people together in a collective toward a mission for improved uh, inclusion. Yeah, it's a, a great set of goals 
that you're laying out, that you're coming in with, that focus, commitment, and working together uh, seems to be key. And hopefully there'll be some real value uh, generated for the industry. So Diane Ashley, CEO of DTA Diversity Counts, thanks again for joining us with your insights and viewpoints. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Three takeaways from our DEI conversation with Diane Ashley. For financial institutions, a successful diversity, equity, and inclusion program is a major undertaking that will require some time to create and fully implement, but Diane says there are quick wins available to get things going. Public statements can be used to stake out an organization's vision and commitment to solving what should be viewed as a business problem. Then follow up promptly with steps yielding more tangible results. This means setting concrete goals so progress can be measured, as well as providing incentives to encourage everyone to get on board. Issues of race and privilege move to a more prominent position in financial services after the ugly encounter in Central Park on Memorial Day between a white female fund manager and an African-American man watching birds. Diane says the result is internal conversations that may not be comfortable, but that are necessary and long overdue. Everyone comes to those conversations with their own biases, she says. What's important is that each person recognizes their biases. This can be an early step toward thinking and acting more inclusively and helping move the business forward. And finally, diversity, equity, and inclusion is to be pursued not only within the walls of a bank, but also in its external relationships. This includes suppliers, contractors, consultants, and the like. Supporting minority-owned businesses, women-owned businesses, LGBTQ-owned businesses, and enterprises owned by veterans and those with disabilities is an expression of commitment to DEI principles. Many of these businesses come with deep experience at top-notch firms. They just need an opportunity to show what they can do. Thanks again for listening to the BAI Banking Strategies Podcast. I'm Terry Badger, Managing Editor at BAI. We'll be back next week with more insights on issues important to the financial services industry.